I want to start off with a question here. How are you doing? That's not a trick question. But you know, when you go to the doctor's office, the first thing that they do is they check vital signs. You know, pulse, blood pressure, temperature. And as they check this, they're, they're checking on the health. I think Paul gave us three vital signs in 1 Corinthians 13, faith, hope, and love. Now, these aren't just vital signs of life for Christians. Even if you're an atheist, you would believe that these three things will determine the quality of your life. What you believe, what you expect, what you value, right? Faith, hope, and love. For the Christian, it's faith in God, it's hope because of God, and it's love from God. And so these three areas, how are we doing? You know, we're finishing up our 10th week of self-quarantine here. We're trying to figure out, okay, when will things start loosening up? When are things going to be different? And it's just hard to get a handle, right? And in these past 10 weeks, we've gone through a lot. Some of us, a lot more than others. Some of us have experienced some incredible pain and the loss of people close to us. Some of us have experienced uh, worries and anxiety when it comes to the job and economic situation. Uh, others have just experienced kind of the, the wildness of, man, we're all cramped together. When can I get out? But none of us have gone through this time unaffected and unscathed. And especially when it comes to faith, hope, and love. Is your faith growing? Is your hope shining? Is your love deepening? All of a sudden, it seems like life has kind of slowed down and has limited us. And perhaps even given us an opportunity, wow, how am I really doing? What can be different? In Ephesians, the sixth chapter, starting in verse 10, the Apostle Paul says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, Put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Three things I want us to think about in order to protect our faith, hope, and love. Number one, be aware of the spiritual struggle that's going on around and within you. Paul says, you know, our struggle isn't against flesh and blood. It's not like 
We're up against another human where I can outthink him. I can, you know, I have an ability here to be able to uh, scurry around or to avoid this. No, no. Our struggle is against the principalities, the powers in the heavenly realms, the dark forces there. I'm not a chess player. If I, as a novice, were to sit down with a chess master and he were to tell me, I will beat you in five moves. I know that would happen. It doesn't matter where I start because the minute I move a piece, boom, 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 he sees it. He understands. He's been doing it so long. He knows all of my options. He knows if I want to do this or go this way or what. It doesn't matter. He is a master. In similar manner, when it comes to me going up against Satan, he's been around. He's a master. And he knows exactly what to say or do, what lie to send my way that would entice me, attack me, or accuse me. Satan tries to come at our faith and destroy it, to come at our hope and extinguish it, to come at our love and betray it. He wants to replace the faith with doubt, the hope with anxiety, and the love with fear. And he knows exactly how to do that. Because you see, he has a weapon. He doesn't just come out and all of a sudden, boom. He can't force us. But he's got a weapon. And as a master manipulator, he knows how to use this weapon. Let's look at John the 8th chapter and see what that is. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and now I'm here. I have not come on my own. But he sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. You see, what the master manipulator does is he doesn't force us to do anything. We still have our freedom of choice. But what he does is he sends lies, maybe certain thoughts, maybe memories. Maybe you see people doing things or TV or whatever, and this lie is coming to you about God. He doesn't care. There is no God. Oh, he's just so kind. He's kind of out of it. Maybe that's the lie that starts coming in there. Or lies about you, yourself. You're not enough. You don't have everything like this person has. All these lies are somehow making you a person that bears the very image of God. Making you feel worthless. Or maybe it's lies about other people. You can't trust a person. This person doesn't like me. This person is going to undermine me. Over and over and over again. Pretty soon you start thinking these over and over and over. And the master manipulator is having you follow his lies. We have a choice. We either believe the truth of God or what Satan sends us. But one thing's for sure. If we are going to protect and grow in our faith, hope, and love, we need to be aware of the struggle. We do not need to be unaware of his schemes, 
or else we will play right in to his moves. Secondly, we need to remember where our strength comes from. I do not sit down and come up with a strategy of my own perception, my limited viewpoint, uh, my limited experience, and my limited intelligence. When compared to Satan, not going to win. But it is God who gives me the strength. It is God's wisdom, God's plan that allows me to do that. When you go through the full armor of God there, go through all of those. Take some time to really study that out, what that means. But God has given a way that will cause our faith, hope, and love to grow based on him. You see, we are prayed for people. I want to explain that. When I pray for somebody, something happens. Sometimes I'm praying for somebody to become a Christian. And... They haven't become a Christian, so, wow, my prayer isn't working. No, my prayer always works. Your prayer always works. You know what's happening to that person? A thought may come in their mind, a memory about a conversation we had, or they may see a situation, and it will will bring to mind, I need to think about God. And in that moment, they have a choice. They can either harden themselves or soften themselves. And if they harden themselves, okay, I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to keep doing that. Wherever they are, it always works. Well, that's just my prayer. Think about the one who prayed for all of us who are Christians. Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah. Look at John 17. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That is us, folks. We have been prayed for by Jesus the Christ. That prayer doesn't take away our freedom of choice. What that does is that prayer frees us to make the right choice. Satan can do nothing. He can only lie and put it out there for us to believe it. You see, your life is a direct reflection of what you believe. You believe Satan's lies, you're going to go that way. But Jesus says, Father, protect them. Free them so they have the freedom of choice to choose what? To choose God's truth. He uses kind of a heavy theological term here, sanctify them by the truth. All sanctify means is to set apart. Set apart from what? The world. When you study out Satan's domain, he is the prince of this world. He has control. He has no authority over Jesus. Jesus is coming in with his kingdom, and his kingdom's going to match, march on forward. But right now, death decay, destruction, 
fear, anxiety, doubt. It's the stuff of Satan's kingdom. It describes his world. And Jesus says, Father, set them apart from that. How will you do that? You'll take people that were used to living the lie because they believe the lies of Satan. And now they will believe the truth of God. And they, though they will be in the world, still susceptible to all of the effects of evil, the evil will not be within because they will be different. A faith and hope and love. So what does this mean? Well, this means we need to choose to go after the truth of God. Right here, folks. Right here. You and I are blessed. We, get, we, we got it right here. We can read it and study it. But it's how you study it. It's why you study it that is important. Some people study it as if it's a lucky charm. You know, uh, I have my own agenda. I want to accomplish something. So let me read some Bible. Oh, yeah. See, it says this. And they end up missing it. Some people study it for a merit badge. I've studied the Bible every single day. I've read it every single day of my life. Others may, excuse me, may study it because they want respect from other people. So let me gain knowledge and people will look to me and respect me. I know all of these great things. But that's not why we're supposed to study it. That won't set us apart. That will end up making us prideful just like we were before. What do we do with the truth? How does it sanctify it? We study to know God and to be transformed into the people, not that we want to be, that he wants us to be. You approach God with that attitude, with that heart, you will grow in faith, hope, and love. You will stand no matter what. What does it mean to, to study in that manner, just to know God and be transformed? Well, one thing is you study to change your heart. You don't change it. God changes it. But you open it there. You want the truth of God to go deep into the inward parts. Psalm 51, verse 6, talks about that. You don't want just behavior change. Behavior is important. Yeah. But you want the behavior to be a direct expression of what's in the heart. Is it any wonder why Jesus always went after the heart? Read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7. What is he doing there? He's not just teaching us how to be good people. He's trying to transform us from within. He warned about how dangerous it can be when the heart is not addressed. In, in Mark chapter 7, verse 20 and following, you know, from out of the heart come the evil thoughts, the, the greed, the malice, all of these things. This junk comes out of there. So Jesus goes for the heart. And when we sit down, if we're going to be set apart from the heart, if we're going to enjoy the power of that prayer for us, we have to choose. God, I want to know the truth about myself. I want to really be able to change. And here is my heart. No hidden agenda. I want to be exactly who you want me to be. I will uncover whatever needs to be uncovered. God's power is made perfect 
in our weakness. God is the creator. He is the one that makes something out of nothing. Be strong in his power. I remember somebody uh, saying to me, after going through a traumatic, devastating event, crying their eyes out, saying, I will never be happy again. Now they're one of the most joyful people you will ever meet. The event still happened. But God, who makes something out of nothing, transformed them. Remember where your power comes from. And lastly, we need to make a decision to stand. I can be aware that, hey, my struggle's not against flesh and blood, and, you know, Satan and his demons are after me. I can be aware of that. I can understand he's a master. I can understand all of that. I can even know where my strength comes from and what's available. The power that's, that's being sanctified by the truth that God himself can, can bring something. I can understand all of that. And yet if I don't make a decision to stand, all of that will be no good. My faith will be wrecked. My hope will be extinguished. And my love will be broken to pieces. I and I alone have got to make the decision to stand. Next month will be the 80th anniversary of a very famous speech that was given in the House of Commons in Great Britain by Winston Churchill. The background of the speech was this. The British had just been pushed into the sea, their whole army, by the Nazi war machine. Hitler controlled all of continental Europe, defeated France, defeated Britain. He was poised now. He was invincible. His war machine could not be stopped. The world was amazed at the power and the might and the onslaught. Only by what's called the miracle of Dunkirk could the remnant, what was left of the British army, be rescued, where in fishing boats, private yachts, all of this came across the channel and thousands of them and brought the beaten, battered, broken army home. The whole world was waiting for the coup d'etat. This is it. Hitler will unleash the hammer, bomb Britain into oblivion, invade then truly he will have control of all of continental Europe. And while everything was looking that way, and while the whole world watched, Winston Churchill got up in the House of Commons, and here's what he said as he closed the speech out. What General Wagan called the Battle of France is over. I expect that the Battle of Britain is about to begin. Upon this battle depends the survival of Christian civilization. Upon it depends our own British life and the long continuity of our institutions and our empire. The whole fury and might of the enemy must very soon be turned on us. Hitler knows that he will have to break us in this island or lose the war. If we can stand up to him... All Europe may be free, and the life of the world may move forward into broad, sunlit 
uplands. But if we fail, then the whole world, including the United States, including all that we have known and cared for, will sink into the abyss of a new dark age made more sinister and perhaps more protracted by the lights of perverted science. Let us therefore brace ourselves to our duties and so bear ourselves that if the British Empire and its commonwealth last a thousand years, men will still say this was their finest hour. Nobody gets inspired when everything's just going their way, when it's easy, when there's no real problems. It is only when your back is against the wall, when it seems like all hope is gone, when things are as bleak as they can be, that you say, I will stand. How much more for you and me as Christians? We serve the God who brings something out of nothing. We serve the God that in the midst of evil and calamity and pain will all of a sudden bring something good out of it. Those things that are evil, calamity, and pain are not good. But he will bring good out of it in only the way that an almighty and sovereign God can. How much more should we make the decision to stand no matter what? The darker the room, the more glorious the light. So it is with us and our faith, hope, and love. As we give thanks for the bread that represents the body of Christ given on the cross and the fruit of the vine that represents his blood that was poured out for the forgiveness of sins, I want to uh, think about that and think about this fact. In that tragedy, we celebrate it today as one of Jesus' finest hours. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Father, for this we thank you that your kingdom has come, that the authority of your Christ is established, that, Father, we are free to be able to choose truth and to overcome in this spiritual warfare by your mighty power. Father, thank you for this bread that represents the body of your Son. Thank you for this fruit of the vine that represents his blood. Thank you for his sacrifice. Thank you for the life he lived and the life he lives now, the, the new life, the renewed life, the one that we will share in one day. Because of all of that, Father, our faith can grow, our hope can burn bright, and our love can be deepened. We thank you, Father, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.